Radio Mano Papachango. sat down with Joe Rogan again last week. Um, I felt a little sheepish going into it because I had just been on his show uh, like a month before. But um, but he was like, yeah, no, come on. You're going to be in L.A. Come on over. Why not? Um, and uh, so I walk in there and I was a little concerned about it because, you know, like I said, it had only been a month uh, before that we had done a three-hour epic podcast, and uh, I honestly, like, well, what's happened in the last month? Like, I don't really have anything to interesting to say. I haven't been anywhere. I haven't, you know, whatever. I've just been sitting at home writing, basically, and churning out a podcast every week, and that's about it. And, you know, for Joe Rogan, turning out a podcast every week is not very impressive. He churns out two or three a day. Anyway, um, but, you know, it's so much fun to hang with him because I, I had a few notes written down like, OK, you know, if I run out of shit to talk about, I can talk about fecal transplants. And, you know, I don't remember what the other <laughs> there are a couple things I've been writing about that I was sort of uh, current on. And uh, we started talking and like we just didn't look back. It just goes, you know, it goes because the thing is, we're friends and he's so fucking smart and so curious and open-minded and and he's got that comedian sensibility of taking an idea and just running with it and you know squeezing it till there's no juice left in it um that conversation is uh so easy with that guy and and duncan and you know i love hanging out with with comedians because of that sort of not only the energy but the the openness to truth and um and it's not courageous they're looking for material you know what i mean it's 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 their agenda you know it's like they're always looking for material and the best material is shit that's true but you never thought of it that way before so uh that's why it's so much fun to hang with them and it's surreal to do those podcasts because you know i've spent uh, I've known Joe for, I don't know, three years now, something like that. And other than backstage at a couple of shows where I saw him, uh, you know, we went out for some food after something like that. And then one time he and I and Duncan went to a firing range in LA and shot guns for a while. Uh, I think those are the only times I've hung out with Joe where we weren't recording a podcast. And there may be 20 podcasts that we've recorded, you know, three hours each. That's So the ratio of time that I've spent with Joe on the air versus off the air is, um, you know, extraordinarily imbalanced. So it's, a, it's strange. It's like having a, a public friendship. And, um, you know, I sit down with him and I'm sitting down with a buddy and we're shooting the shit. But there are a million people listening. It's so weird. It's like, because it's not a performance. You know, we haven't worked out anything beforehand. Uh, you know, I walk in there, give him a hug, 
Uh, he says, uh, you give me a second. I got to like, you know, send out this email. I got to do whatever. He sits there, he jams on his computer for a minute. Uh, you know, I, uh, Jamie, his sound guy makes some coffee. I get some coffee and, uh, two minutes later, okay, we're ready to go. Jamie does the intro and Joe says, Oh, I'm here with Chris. And that's it. That's it. There's no, what are we going to talk about? There's no, Hey, today I want to, you know, cover this or that. Nothing. And uh, so it's not a performance is what I'm saying. It's not work. And yet it's got an audience of about a million people. What a world. What an interesting fucking world. So uh, one of the things that I did, I wanted to do, I guess I had a little bit of an agenda. I always do when I'm on Joe's shows. I want to, I like talking about stuff that, um, you know, people are afraid to talk about because I know Joe likes to to cover that stuff and I know there's some value in it. And so the previous time, a month ago, I, I talked about, um, uh, what the hell was it? I guess it was, it wasn't pedophilia. It was some other sort of uh, some other sexual orientation uh, issue. And then this time I talked about pedophilia because I had received um, some emails from people pursuant to the first conversation. Um, and I wanted to to really publicize this understanding that a pedophile is not the same as a pederast. Okay? A pederast is someone who fucks around with kids. A pedophile is someone who wants to, who has the the desire to, but doesn't want to necessarily, right? So what, what I'm talking about, the email that uh, that I'm referring to was from a guy who said, um, and by the way, I've received a lot of emails very similar to this, but he said, look, you know, since I was, since I became sexually aware, I've, I know I'm attracted to kids, specifically in his case, it was boys between 11 and 15 or something like that. And he said, you know, I know this is wrong. And I know it would hurt those kids if I ever acted on this. And I don't want to act on this. But I'm completely alone because there's no one that I can talk to about this. There's no one I can be honest with about this. And I feel like a monster. Now, I know some of you out there are saying, fuck that guy. He is a monster. But you're not thinking this through. Okay, because he's not a monster. How many times have you wanted to kill somebody? How many times have you wanted... I mean, look, I live above a restaurant on a busy street, second story. Every fucking night, I hear drunken idiots at 2 o'clock in the morning coming out of the bar, screaming, hey, I imagine sitting there with a fucking rifle picking them off one at a time. Every time someone does a at two in the morning, believe me, I'm imagining a fucking bullet going into them. Now, does that make me a monster? No, because you've had the same thoughts, right? We've all had somebody cuts you off in traffic. You imagine smashing into the back of their car. We all imagine shit all the time that we want to do and we don't do. And that's not illegal. You don't do it. It's not illegal. And me admitting this, you know, to tens of thousands of people is not going to get me in prison. But if I were admitting that I wanted to have sexual contact with kids, that would get me in all sorts of trouble. 
But how is it different? I'm admitting I want to fucking shoot people sometimes. But we, but that's cool to admit. That's okay to admit. But it's not okay to admit other things. So this person who sent me the email is completely isolated. He can't tell his he can't tell a therapist because in most states there's a legal requirement that a therapist report someone like this to the police as a potential danger. But of course, the danger is increased by the fact that we force people into isolation. It's exactly the same mechanisms and energies and fucked up ways of thinking that fuel the war against drugs, right? Oh, drugs are bad. Well, first of all, a lot of the the arguments for why drugs are bad are based upon the idea that drugs are all the same, which is fucking stupid. Marijuana and crack are as dissimilar as you can imagine. But anyway, drugs are drugs, according to this line of thinking, and they're bad, according to this line of thinking. Therefore, what we need to do is repress them, suppress the the urge to change your consciousness, suppress the, uh, deny the right, by the way, to explore altered states of consciousness. And in doing that, what do we do? We potentiate the entire system that brings those drugs by increasing the value. Now, you know how this works. We've all heard this line of thinking. We all understand it. We all know that the states in the United States that have the highest rates of STD transmission among teens and the highest rates of teen pregnancy are exactly those states in which abstinence only is the only approach to sex education. Yes, I'm talking about you, Mississippi, fucking Louisiana, all you redneck, ignorant, fucked up states that think the earth is 7,000 years old. You're the ones who have the most pregnant teenagers. You're the ones with the most AIDS transmission among teenagers because you refuse to talk about sex honestly with teenagers. That's just the way it works. So if you want to make a problem worse, make it impossible to talk about it, make it impossible for people to seek help openly, create a huge cloud of shame around it and thereby make it much stronger and create far more problems than you would have if you just admitted that it's part of life. Some people feel these things and we can talk about them openly without freaking out like our fucking hair's on fire. So somebody who is attracted to kids, almost always that person had a uh, sexual experience as a kid with an adult. So they're imprinted by that experience, which they had absolutely no autonomy. They had no choice. So if we're going to call it abuse, they were abused. And so now they have no choice as to what to feel. The choice they have is over what to do. And by cloaking them in shame, pushing them into a corner, telling them they're monsters, telling them they're horrible for feeling these things, what we do is make it impossible for them to seek help, impossible for them to feel part of a community, impossible for them to feel accepted because they can't share this with anyone. There's no one who can say, don't worry, it's okay. I know you're a good person. I know you won't do that. No one can say that because they can't share this because we've created this hysteria around it. 
It's fucking ridiculous. I got an email yesterday or the day before from somebody who's all ripped up about the fact that when he was uh, like eight or nine years old, he and his friend who was a year or two older were, you know, playing with fucking crayons or whatever it was. And the the older kid convinced him to give him a hand job or suck his dick or some shit like that. And now this guy's in his 30s, I think, and he's freaked out that, like, he doesn't know, like, what am I? What Am I gay? Am I not? I, I, you know, I'm married. I, I, I'm attracted to women. Completely freaked out. Now, here's the secret. Here's the secret, okay? And you men listening to me know this. Almost all boys experiment with other boys when they're little kids. We're little monkeys. We don't know what the fuck it is. All we know is it feels good. When I touch my dick. So, hey, what if you touch my dick? I'll touch your dick. You touch my dick. It feels good. Oh, when you're fucking seven, eight years old, you don't know it's wrong, if it is wrong, by the way. But, you know, okay, we all agree it's wrong now, unless you're gay, in which case that's okay. But if you're straight, then that's... So we create all these structures around this stuff, all these rules. But what happens before you know the rules? What about that? Well, here's what you get a waiver, you get a pass. So all you guys out there who, you know, gave your buddy a hand job when you were seven years old and have been like struggling to cover it up and, and avoid the thought for the, you know, your entire life. Give yourself a break. OK, it doesn't fucking matter. It's no big deal. Everybody does it. Almost everybody. You know, it's like all the shame around masturbation used to be a huge thing. Now we joke about jerking off. It's no big deal. But 40 years ago, 50 years ago, you jerked off. You were going to hell. You know, it was a major source of shame. The 100 years ago, you were told that it would lead to insanity and death. It caused brain damage. People really said this shit. And they, I mean, experts were writing books about this, warning parents that if you're Children touch their genitals. They're, you know, they're going to go insane. They're going to go blind. It's, these are doctors who are writing books about this stuff. And now it's all discredited bullshit. Well, the rest of this is discredited bullshit too, okay? We can't choose what we feel. We can only choose what we do. And that applies to whatever your sexual attractions are, whatever your urges are. You can't control the appetite. You can control what you eat, but you can't control what smells good, right? So that's the lesson of the day. Give yourself a break over what you feel, what you want, and focus your efforts on what you do, what you decide, that kind of discipline. Now, that's what will help. Not freaking out about subconscious things or things that happened when you were a kid. Let that shit go. This episode is with uh, Ben, whose last name I don't remember, but the uh, he's uh, a guy who bought a VW combi van in Chile four years ago and decided to drive that van to Alaska. And he's done it. And he's got a YouTube channel... I think it's called Asta Alaska with an H, H-A-S-T-A, Alaska. Um, you can Google him. His name's Ben. Uh, shit, I can't, I don't know if he even told me his last name. Anyway, Asta Alaska, uh, he's a very interesting cat. He's British 
And I thought I was just going to interview him about this crazy trip he's done. His idea was buy this van, drive the, the I think it's called the Trans-American Highway, which goes all the way from South America up to Alaska. And uh, his idea was to just pick up people along the way, just people he meets, whatever, on the on the road and give them a ride and hang out for a while and, you know, just have these sort of, not really hitchhikers per se, but I mean, I guess there were some hitchhikers. But anyway, dozens, if not hundreds of people have come in and out of his life over the last four years as he's done this epic journey and a really cool little dog, too, named Alaska. Uh, and uh, yeah, but then we, we uh, you'll hear at the beginning, turns out he was doing some really interesting stuff before this trip even happened. I thought we were just going to like do a you know, a cursory, where are you from, where'd you grow up, blah, 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 and then get right to the van trip. But we ended up spending a lot of time talking about uh, really interesting uh, journeys that he took in Asia before he even got into this trip, part of which he was working uh, with tigers in Thailand. That's a cool gig, huh? So anyway, very interesting guy. Uh, He was with his friend Leah, who uh, was very charming and and wonderful kind of quiet she didn't really pipe up very much but uh she was it was great to have her there and alaska running around and uh alaska is one of those dogs you ever meet a dog that just seems like a dude like just a cool dude you know wasn't barking was he was like doing his own thing really smart independent um a wonderful little dog i, I think dogs have spirits they have karma you know sometimes like there's some dogs they're just an old soul you can just see it you know like that that dog's been around and alaska was like that i wish i could have interviewed him i'm sure he'd have some interesting stuff to tell us anyway i really hope you enjoy this episode um the amazon stuff has been great let's see just in the last day somebody bought a festool anti-static hose for 120 bucks, eight of which came to the podcast. Uh, somebody else got a Skull Candy gaming headset. That's pretty cool. We got 7% of that. Um, and one more thing. Let's see. What's another one where we got Carhartt men's waterproof, breathable, water repellent, force equator cap, black, extra large. Whoever bought that's going somewhere rainy. Thank you. Um, So anyway, you can uh, support the podcast by ordering stuff uh, at Amazon, going through any of the affiliate links at chrisryanphd.com. Doesn't cost you anything extra. Takes a cut out of Amazon's revenues and uh, supports the podcast. You can also support the podcast through fundwhatyoulove.com. Danny Osmond, our wonderful sound engineer, opened up that site as a way to support this podcast, other podcasts, and other creative endeavors so if you've got a creative endeavor and you want to set up a support system for it fund what you love is a great way to do it lastly um, because people have been sort of asking me i get a lot of emails saying you know what do you do uh what do you use to record your your podcast what kind of equipment what kind of mics what do you do with this what do you do with that so the other day i sat down and i did a i put together a page uh, of stuff I've bought, stuff I've bought recently, 
all the podcast material, uh, uh, not material, the podcast uh, equipment that I use, the mics, the recorder, the 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 um, mic boom or whatever that thing's called that I'm speaking into right now. So you can see all that if you go to my website, chrisryanphd.com. You'll see recommended. And under that is like a recommended reading list and books and people, the guests on the podcast have written um, and also just books that I love. And then there's also a thing where it's, uh, I think it's called Stuff I Own or something like that. So you can look at, if you're in, if you're curious about what kind of crap is lying around our apartment, that's where you can find it. All right, let's get to the podcast. Hope you enjoy this. I'm going to play a couple of tunes in the course of the podcast one of which I mentioned, which is Beautiful World by Colin Hay, who was the front man for Men at Work. I'm going to play uh, a, this song by him, which is just one of my favorite songs in the world. Uh, and I think I've played it on the podcast before a year or two ago. I don't remember. But to me, it's just a really listen to the lyrics to the song because it's so... It's so bittersweet. It's so what he what he says in the song is like um, my my my. It's a beautiful world, and then he names things that give him pleasure, like swimming in the sea, driving his car, making tea. Very simple things, um, and that's both the glory and, in a way, the tragedy of life. That it's not being, you know, winning Grammys for the best album of the year at, when he was with Men at Work. That's not what makes it a beautiful world. That's not what makes him happy. What makes him happy are these little quotidian things in our daily lives that are arranged properly. One of the things that makes me happy, and honestly it's something I've been missing, is being around animals. We had three cats in Spain. Now they're, you know, with friends and other people. Um, uh, I was yesterday just walked by this dog in the street and the way the dog looked at me just made me happy and made me like, fuck, why don't I have dogs in my life? Cause dogs are just fucking great, you know, but it's a hassle and I travel a lot. I'm always moving. So, you know, then dogs become a problem, but I think that means there's something wrong with my fucking life that I can't have a dog because dogs are love. I mean, dogs are great. Anyway, so there's a, a moment in the podcast where I have to pause because dogs are barking and we're recording in the park. So I'm going to play a, a song there called Seamus by Pink Floyd. This is from the Metal album, M-E-D-D-L-E. It's an early Pink Floyd album. And this is an amazing song. And there's a recording, a video of them recording this song. You can YouTube it. Uh, The dog, he's this hound dog. The dudes are sitting around on the ground playing acoustic guitar. And the dog sings. And apparently this dog hung out with them a lot and would sing when they played certain chord progressions or whatever. So they knew this was going to happen. So they wrote a blues tune called Seamus. The dog's name is Seamus for the dog. And then they recorded him soloing in the song that they wrote for him. Now that's like a cute YouTube. Oh, look at the kitten doing this bullshit. It's that kind of thing. It's like, Oh, that's really But think about it. It's also interspecies communication at a really profound level. They're jamming. When do you see 
humans and another species jamming together. Incredible. So this dog understands the blues. I think a lot of dogs understand the blues. That's Seamus. Check it out. Hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm going to shut up now and let you get into it. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your emails. And I hope everybody out there is having a great time. All right, here I am in Laurelhurst Park, my favorite podcasting haunt, with uh, Ben and Leah, and what's the dog's name? Alaska. Alaska. Alaska, a very well-behaved, quiet dog who I don't see. Do you see? Is she's she, right here. Oh, she's here. That Ben picked up in Peru. Did she have, like, uh, you know, bags of Coke in her when you picked her up? <laughs> That's how we paid for her travel. <laughs> That's how you paid for her. So, uh, now, to give credit where credit's due, a guy named Matt Nelson sent me an email a few months ago uh, who listens to the podcast. Hey, Matt. And uh, he said, hey, I just came across this guy, Ben. He's driving all over the place in a, in a combi van. You started where, in Chile? I bought the, the Volkswagen combi in Chile. And you dr- you're driving to Alaska, or you've been to Alaska, and you're coming back. What, what's, where are you in this hole? I'm desperately trying to get this combi to the top of the world, so I'm trying to drive it up to the Arctic Circle. Oh, okay. And that's um, turned out to be a little harder than I originally planned. <laughs> well, I mean, I imagine the whole trip is harder than you planned, right? That's the nature of these sorts of trips. Yeah, I mean, I've planned a year from Chile to Alaska, um, without much planning, really. Mm. Um, But I've had a lot of problems along the way, and my project's a little bit crazy, so it's taken about four years so far. Right. Four years. You planned on one, and you're not there yet. That's good. (laughs) That's the way it should work. Four years is a long time for a road trip, though. It is. It's a long... Well, it's a long fucking road, dude. I mean... That's about, it's one of the longest roads there is, probably. I think it is the longest road from, from uh, the Panamericana from Chile to Alaska is the longest road currently. Although they're talking about putting a road across Russia, I've heard, to Europe. Uh, right. So right. that's like the Trans-Siberian Railroad. Yeah. Yeah, I was planning to do a trip on that one time. and Yeah, I was going to go from Hungary to Beijing. And... Um, Oh, it's a long story, but I was, my plan was, you guys are too young to remember this, but um, Aung Sung Chi won the Nobel Peace Prize. She's the Burmese uh, activist whose father was the president. And, and um, so this was what, like 89, something like that maybe. And uh, so she won the Nobel Peace Prize and there was all this um, activism against the Burmese military government like um, the people refusing to buy products that came from Burma and all this, as before they renamed it to Myanmar. So I was living in San Francisco, and I thought, well, that government's fucked. That there's going to be a revolution, or the, you know, the pressure, international pressure, will make those guys resign. So I'm going to get a TEFL certificate, which I did, and then I'm going to go to Spain, and I'm going to wait in Spain, practice teaching English, and as soon as that government falls, I'm going to take the Trans-Siberian from Hungary to Beijing, then go down into Burma, and I'll be like the first wave of uh, Westerners in this country since World War II, right? It's been completely cut off. It'll be this fucking mind-blowing experience. Good plan. Yeah, it was a great plan. I got to Spain, yeah, when I was in Barcelona. I was on my way to Sevilla, but... As you well know, things happen. I got robbed in Barcelona. So while I was waiting for a new passport, I met some 
cool people and someone offered me a job and I met this woman and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, well, I'll hang in Barcelona for the winter. This was the winter of 89, you know, still there 22 years later, you know, based there. Um, but the fucking government never changed. The generals are still in charge. So I never went across the yeah. Siberian Railroad. Yeah. Still waiting for that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I think it's passed me by. I'm not sure I would, uh, you know, want to go and be an English teacher in Burma right now. I think I've done my English teaching. I've paid my English teaching dues. Um, but did you, uh, Darien Gap, is there a road through there now? Or did you have to... There is still not a road. It's still the only part of the Panamericana where there is not a road. Right. So that's a little bit challenging. And it, it's an obstacle for everybody trying to drive from South America to North America. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's an opportunity for adventure because, because there is no road. You have to make your own plans to get around it. I believe now that there's a ferry um, going from Panama to Colombia, which makes everything much easier. Mm. You just put your car on, you get on like a regular ferry and pop out the other side. Right. Same day, I believe. But when you went through, there was no ferry? No, most people would put their vehicles, most bikes, vans, whatever they're bringing, and onto a container ship. Um, I opted for the roll-on, roll-off service, which is not advisable. It's where you hand over your keys to somebody you've never met, and then they drive the, the vehicle onto the ship on one side, hand over the keys to the other country, either Panama or Colombia, depending on which way you're going, and then, the, then they drive it off at the other side. But the problem with that is that they basically rob you blind anything that's not strapped down in between because it's not governed, and they know that they can't get caught. All ah, right, there's no jurisdiction. No. Yeah. So you got robbed? Yeah, I got quite a few things stolen, but um, I was anticipating that. Let's pause here.
We are back after taking a pause to let the nervous dog be a nervous dog. That was in Alaska, by the way. Alaska, I haven't heard her bark yet. She's sitting here quietly. She she responds to Spanish commands, which is amazing. Yeah, well, she's Peruvian, so um, we always spoke to her in Spanish. Helps me keep my Spanish up as well whilst oh, I'm here okay. in the States. Yeah, yeah. I tried that with my Spanish girlfriend, but she refused to talk to me in Spanish because we knew each other in English, yeah. you know? And so she said it creeped her out to have me talk to her. I, I actually said something to her in Spanish once when we were making love, and she j- <laughs> jumped out of the bed. <laughs> it was a big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I said, but, you know, some Julio Iglesias. Like, yeah, I might have, yeah, it could have been a mistake. Like, silly grammatical error. Yeah. Um, anyway, where were we? We were talking about the Darien Gap. Uh, oh, and you getting robbed and the, the whole thing. So I imagine you've been robbed a bunch of times, four years. Yeah, I mean, I think most people with a trip like this, they worry about going down into Latin America because you're going to be held up at Machete Point or Gunpoint, um, yeah. and they're going to forcefully take your stuff. That's not really how it works. Um, you are likely to get robbed, but that's they usually just wait till you're not looking, mm. you know, steal something that's tied to the side of your vehicle. Um, and so that sort of thing happened regularly. I woke up one time um, with five guys trying to pull my batteries out of the, the engine. I sleep just above the engine because it's in the back of the car in a, in a, oh, a Volkswagen. Right. Right. Um, so I just jumped out of the car without thinking, actually, a little stupidly, um, and appeared in, in my boxer shorts, um, you know, just giving them hell, like, what are you doing? And they got so scared, they all jumped into their car and, and left, which was lucky for me because it could have gone a different way. Yeah. I think I had the element of surprise. Yeah, and the boxer shorts. <laughs> you look like a superhero, probably. <laughs> I, did, I didn't mention the cape, did, the, the cape, did I? <laughs> okay, you sleep in a cape? That's good. <laughs> you have to be ready at all yeah, times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, way, that's the way it is in Spain, too. You get pickpocketed. But nobody pulls a gun or you know, a knife or anything. I think, yeah, I've I've been robbed uh, several times, and in my experience, it's been generally uh, a very positive thing. It didn't feel like it at the time, but I mean, I was backpacking in India and I got robbed, and essentially everything they stole I didn't need anyway, and I was just lugging it around, and my suddenly my bag was like a third of the weight that it had been. <laughs> it's like, you want my water filtered? Be fine, whatever. I didn't need it. Um, but I don't know, have, have any of your uh, robberies turned out to be positive? Um, they've all been an interesting experience. Uh, I basically gave away or sold all my possessions before I started this trip. So uh-huh. um, being living in a Volkswagen uh, and with the project that I have, sharing it with lots of people, there's not very much space. Right. So, so um, if somebody steals something, I, I usually miss it. But at the end of the day, we're talking, you know, items of clothing or yeah. there's nothing really of value. Right. And it's easy to replace things on the road. That's, that's always nice. So let's get foundational here. What the hell was this project? How did this occur to you? You're Australian, is that right? I'm actually from the UK. Oh, you're from the UK. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's no, I... That's a terrible insult. <laughs> no, it's fine. Most <laughs> people think I'm Aussie. It's probably because I hang around with a lot of Aussies. Leah yeah. here is Australian. Oh, that's your fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time with Australians. It's You become friends with them, and next thing you know, they're living in your living room. I don't know... <laughs> 
how it happens. <laughs> what happened with me? They never, they never leave. <laughs> they never leave. Tag, tag along. It's like a fungal infection or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they get between your toes. And yeah. No, I was just, before you came, I was recording uh, a podcast I do that's just a travel. I'm telling stories from back in the day. And one of the characters in that was this Australian guy who I met in India. And we've been friends ever since. And he slept in several living rooms that I've been paying rent for. <laughs> he hasn't. <laughs> anyway, so you're from the UK. Yeah. Um, so you're a POM. I am a POM. I guess you could say that, although I feel like more of a citizen of the world. I've been, I left in 2008. I quit my nine-to-five um, office job. Oh. Working in IT, had a great career. Are you um, crazy? I know. I must have been. Um, you know, I just followed the path that everybody else followed out of university, get the job, uh-huh. start saving up for a mortgage, um, and just decided I wanted more from life. Uh, didn't How re- old were you? I was, I was 26 when I left. Yeah. I'd kind of had that plan for a long time. Uh-huh. You know, even before going to university, I knew that I wanted to go and explore a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't think that it would take on you know, a whole life of its own and, and it would take me in a different, completely different direction. I can't ever see myself going back to working in an office now. Um, the world is just too amazing. I just want to keep exploring it, meeting people. I think I learn more on the road than I ever learn in a classroom. Yeah. That has a big appeal to me. Yeah. Yeah. Going back is the most depressing part of any it trip. Is. It's very hard. Yeah. That's yeah. Fun. I mean, this, I, I mentioned to you when we were walking over here, this is the first time I've lived in the States since the 90s, mid-90s. I came back for a couple of years of graduate school, then hightailed it back to Spain as soon as I could. That's when my Spanish girlfriend would, wouldn't speak to me in Spanish. And uh, so I got her back to Spain. And, uh, yeah, and then we came here, like, two years ago or something. It's depressing as hell, man. Yeah. It's horrible. I but, don't know. America's not all that bad. It's got a lot going for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, just watch out for people with guns. You know, we were, I was in the town where that happened a couple of days ago. Really, yeah, we yeah. heard about that on the news. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not just America. I mean, I've got gripes with America that people listen to this have heard a million times, but uh, it's going back to where you're from that's yeah. also a part of it. You know, even if where you're from is cool, it's yeah. not like traveling, you know? It's mm-hmm. not... It's not uh, invigorating. It's like going from sparkling water to still water. Mm-hmm. It's just completely not as exciting. Yeah. You know, yeah. when, I, when I got to the States after having spent three years in Latin America, um, I got something I wasn't expecting. I, I got reverse culture shock coming back to, um, you know, the first world. Um, things like water faucets that you could just drink out straight away and just... Uh, lights on the streets and yeah. sprinklers in the gardens. Everything seems so weird. You know, things that people take for granted. Yeah, weirdly familiar. Yeah, it was yeah. it was cool coming back for a little while. I, I still miss the adventure of, you know, um, sleeping out in the dirt in, yeah. in Mexico and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that... that had you been to the U.S. before? Uh, not really. I'd been to Disneyland when I was a kid, and I don't think that's a fair representation <laughs> of the States. It's <laughs> pretty fair, maybe. Yeah, when I, the first time when I went to Asia, I went to India, Nepal, Thailand, Sumatra, and then I went to Greece, and I had never been to Europe. But when I landed in Athens, I f- it felt familiar. 
So it was really weird because Asia had been so exotic. And then to go to Greece where like, yeah, okay, the city's organized into blocks and you've got, you know, there are no elephants in the street. It's all just sort of, it felt familiar. And in a way I sort of, I I blew it because I didn't get the thrill of Greece that I would have gotten if I had gone directly to Greece. Mm -hmm. And be like, wow, this is so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. That doesn't sound loud to you guys. No. Yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> rumbling. Um, so, so when you left the UK, you're thinking, did you already have the the combi van thing in mind, or no? I just intended to go backpacking for a while. Um, so I headed uh, to Asia, to to Bangkok. Mm. Uh, spent a year traveling around Southeast Asia, um, living with monks. I uh, worked with tigers for a while, just doing things that I couldn't do in my nine to five office job. Did you get a lot of resistance when you decided to leave the UK? Like your family, friends, anybody really push push back against that? No, I think um, the best advice I ever got from my family was that they wished that they'd explored more and, and travelled more mm. before they had me. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I'm doing it for you now. <laughs> yeah, I, I got the same thing from my dad. He so, was a lot of vicarious pleasure of seeing where I was going. That's cool in a way, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like they made a sacrifice for you, but they don't want you to make that sacrifice. You almost owe it to them to go out and have fun. Yeah, um, I'm due to go home soon, I think. It's been a long time since I was at home. Um, you know, and it'd be interesting to see what they think after having lived in a van for four years, if they think it's time to get a job again. But I'm pretty sure they don't. My, my mother, she knows that um, happiness is really the most important thing um, and it's the, I feel like happiness is the best measure of success mm. um, it's not what your pay grade is or what your responsibilities are in your job um, and so I'm happy on the road, I'm happy meeting people, exploring, inspiring people to get out there through my own projects um, so I think I'm winning at life really yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely How old are you now? I am 33 33 It'd be interesting to see how you'd feel going back to friends that are settled down with kids, with a house, because you're not really around that when you're travelling, so you might feel a bit different. Like keeping up with the the Joneses. (laughs) Yeah, everyone's going to have families, fast cars, big houses. Mm. Maybe not big houses where I'm from. I'm from a small island um, called Jersey, actually. It's only nine miles by five. It's really, really small. So everything there is really expensive, you know, to buy a a small property is best part of a million dollars. So is that a tax haven? Uh, Yeah, it's an offshore tax haven. Damn Russian billionaires are ruining it for everyone. (laughs) It's hard to keep up with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and what, what's, uh, do you want to be included in this, Leah? We, we were talking earlier about whether or not you were, I don't want to ask you any intrusive questions. Oh, no, you can ask done. me anything. Yeah? It's fine. So what's, what's your story? How did you, you guys met in Mexico? And how yeah, did we you met get... in Mexico. I was living in Mexico. I was just um, spending a few months in Mexico, and uh, Ben and his combi crew at the time came through um, Sayulita. And I had no plans. I just left Australia I've been travelling quite a lot a few years before that and went back home and was miserable. Like you were saying, it's different when you go back. Um, And travelling's always just, I don't know, made you happy. Were you travelling in Asia or Latin America mainly? Um, All over. I lived in in Europe for a bit and then lived in Egypt for a bit and travelled in Egypt. Uh, So I've done a bit of, yeah, back and forth, going back home, saved to travel. Right. 
Yeah, and this time I had no plan, so when I met Ben, I just wanted to hop in the van and never come back. <laughs> you're like a stowaway. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, it's the best way of travelling, I think, yeah. in, in a van. Like, you wake up in beautiful spots. Yeah. You get to stop and go wherever you want. And it's great. The spontaneity of it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I think it's a perfect way to travel. I think yeah. it's what I needed. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's so... I mean, I spent so many years with a backpack that um, I remember the first time... Uh, my cousin is a lifeguard in Southern California and Cassie and I were going to Southeast Asia for a long trip and we stopped in LA and we had like a month or something and he said why don't you take my van and you know go cruise around he had a little bed in the back and you know it wasn't super set up it was just a crude surfer van you know Uh but it had a bed with a down quilt and a a cooler for beer and food And we took the van and we drove. Uh, we were going to Vegas, where I actually was going to be speaking at the world's largest swingers convention. <laughs> How'd you get that? Oh, that was bizarre. That was my first public speaking engagement <laughs> ever. Like, after I just finished my dissertation, uh, which was on uh, sexual behavior and prehistory. And, you know, you write a doctoral dissertation and it's really depressing because you're doing all this work and there are like three people who are going to read it. <laughs> and probably two of them won't even read it. You know, they'll yeah. just pretend they did. And then, uh, you know, that's your committee. And uh, so you always dream that like somehow this is going to come to someone's attention mm. and something's going to happen. And uh, so I finished it, I sent it off and it was approved. Okay, you know, I got my degree. And then like a month later, I get an email from someone saying, uh, Professor Sonso passed along your dissertation. I found it so fascinating. I'd like to invite you to come and speak. All expenses paid in Las Vegas. You and, you know, a companion. And blah, 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 blah. First of all, it's in August. Okay, Vegas in August is like... It's going to be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. And, um, and it's the Swingers Convention. It was called the Lifestyle Convention. <laughs> and there were... I think there were like 2,000 registered couples wow. in one hotel. They just took over this whole hotel, and they were all swingers. It God, was nuts. <laughs> it was really fun. When's the next one? <laughs> well, unfortunately, the like president of that organization stole all the money and, oh, and like absconded, and so I think that organization doesn't exist anymore. But now there are other ones, mm. and what they do a lot of like cruises, I think now, like. You know, because Vegas is weird because it's got this whole, like, family-friendly bullshit now. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was doing a media. There were some documentary people there, and they were interviewing me. So I'm standing there in the hallway because they found they, they had a nice long camera line. And I'm standing there in the hallway talking about bonobos. I don't know if you guys know about bonobos. They're, like, really sexual subspecies of chimpanzee. All right. They're great. Oh, you should, I'll give you a copy of our book, read it in your van and give it to somebody. Um, But yeah, but chimpanzees are kind of nasty, right? Like uh, this primatologist, Franz Duvall, said that chimpanzees use violence to get sex, but bonobos use sex to avoid violence. So there's no, in bonobos, there's no rape, there's no murder, there's no war, there's no infanticide, nothing. Mm. But they fuck all the time. Mm. So anytime they get stressed, they're just like, fuck, 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 and then everyone chills out. Like if there's like food, they all fuck, and then they share the food. Chimps will fight over it. We should probably learn something from that species. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dinner parties would be much more interesting. Uh, Yeah. 
I could tell you about some dinner parties. It's certainly at that convention, holy, that was like a bonobo convention, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point is getting back to the van. So I'm in, Cassie and I are in my cousin's van and it was like, this is like having a really big backpack. It's mm. great. I've got everything we need right here. So the van broke down in Death Valley like just stopped running and I had like pulled over and we drifted off the highway down under this bridge. And I stopped and it's like, I'm not really that upset about this because I've got like three days of food. Yeah. I got, you know, cold beers. I got music. I got a bed. Yeah. yeah, we'll work it out. And luckily it cooled down and then it started again and we got, we made it to Vegas. But we spent a month cruising around in that van. I was great. I loved it. And I keep thinking, if I were going to stay in North America, we'd be living in a van. Mm. And Cassie's down for it. Why not? It's becoming quite trendy now. The van life thing is really taking off. It is. And, and partly, I think that's, you know, because people can be digital nomads, right? Like mm. us, you know, we don't need to be anywhere. We can just do our thing. And um, also economic necessity. You know, a lot of people, they're losing their houses, they, you know, whatever, lose a job. If you got 20, 30 grand, sink it in a really nice van, you're not paying rent anymore. Yeah. Right. And gas prices are cheap as shit right now. Yeah. Um, but in Europe, it's a different thing. I, I don't know about living in a van in Europe. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll find out at some point. I, I think I'll probably do a van life project over there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. So are you, so you're backpacking around in Southeast Asia, working with tigers. What'd you do with tigers? Um, I was. I was basically a tiger trainer. I trained them not to eat people. That's why your dog is so good. I, I noticed on the way over, you're like a real dog guy. You know how to... She's my first dog. Really? Yeah. So I guess you learn how to train a tiger, a little dog's easy. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Cut your teeth on tigers. Yeah. Little Peruvian mutts, no problem. Yeah, the tiger thing came about because I, I was in the north of Thailand. Um, I heard about a, a tiger park where tourists could go and have their pictures taken with tigers. And I emailed them to, to say that I thought that they were probably drugging the tigers and it was impossible for a tiger to be with humans and not, not be drugged. And I asked them if I could come and feed the tigers for a couple of weeks and just come with my tent and sleep in the compound um, just to make sure that they weren't kind of drugging them. And they said, yeah, that's fine. You can come and, you can come and feed the tigers. That's a pretty uppity email to send off. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Hey, I think you guys are fucking up. And I'd like to come and camp out for free on your property just to make sure you're not fucking up. <laughs> make sure you're doing the right thing. That's pretty much the gist of it. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's amazing. That speaks well of, of Thai people, that they didn't just tell you to fuck off. Yeah, no, they were, they were quite um, protective over their reputation. You know, it's a thing that a lot of people... Uh thought that they were drugging their tigers. Were you uh, pretending to be a journalist or something? No, just yeah. just a backpacker. That's um, cool. So I ended up wow. living in the nursery compound uh, of the baby tigers. Oh man, really? Yeah. I was camping in my tent at first, but then there was a lot of um, big snakes in, in the, the area that I was, and they, they didn't want the responsibility of finding me dead in my tent in the morning, so they, they moved me in with the baby tigers, thinking that would be safer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which is safer, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that cool that's job. amazing. Yeah. So you're you're hanging out in the in the baby tiger area, and and what what are you doing? Um, so I was, they basically my first day um, tiger training. Um, they gave me a little bamboo stick, which is about as thick as one of my fingers. Um, opened the door and threw me in with five, kind of large dog-sized tigers. They were about five months old, uh, all brothers, and they just said, 
don't get bitten. And that was the training that I got from them. <laughs> so maybe they weren't so thrilled with you. Maybe they're like, yeah. hey, yeah, sure, guy. Come on, come on over. You can, you can check yeah. us out. They're yeah. hoping that you get eaten. Free food for the tigers. Yeah. yeah. That was an amazing experience. I really bonded with those tigers. I used to take naps with them in the afternoon, use them as a pillow. They'd all sleep on top of each other, and I'd just climb in with them and sleep for an hour while there were no tourists. Mm. And basically when the tourists came to get their picture taken, I had to monitor their body language and make sure that they weren't getting agitated because they do try to attack you, especially some of the bigger ones. Mm. The biggest ones we were in with were almost fully grown. Um, well, they were fully grown, but they, I think at the age of about three years old, they, their hormones change and they become a lot more aggressive. Yeah. So we would have them up to three years old. And are males more aggressive than females? The females are more aggressive. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even if they don't have cubs? Yeah, just when they get to a certain age and their hormones kick in, they, everything changes. They mm. start spraying you with the... Uh, the some, females do? Yeah. Oh. Wow. I thought it was males who sprayed. But, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of house cats. What they yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, the, the female tigers can spray quite some distance, believe me. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, okay, so how long were you doing that? Uh, three or four months, I think. That's a, that's a great job. Yeah, it was What really a great fun. gig. I taught English to, to hookers in Bangkok. I thought that was the best job, but you got me beat by a mile. <laughs> I don't know, both have their advantages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, so you're in, was this Chiang Mai? Yeah, yeah. I was up in Chiang Mai, yeah. Wow, all right, I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to be in Chiang Mai soon. Yeah, I think they still take volunteers. Really? It might be a more structured uh, program now. I don't think you could just wing them an email challenging them. Well, I'll tell them I know you. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're, did you have any experience working with animals before this? No. I, no, I didn't. And I didn't claim to either, actually. <laughs> so what, so how do they, how do, how do you get from some, like, uppity guy sending an email to, oh, here's a stick, you know, go work with the babies? Like, they had no... Nobody else to do it, or like you're th- white, so you must know something, or wh- what's going on there? I think they like the fact that most of the tourists that come speak English, and most of the people that work there were, were Thai speaking. So, oh, so I did you a were a go between. Yeah, I did the translating. And oh, nice. Really, you shouldn't poke the tiger in the eye, that's not good. You know, I could communicate those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, those subtle, <laughs> subtle points. Do you speak Thai? I did, I, I spoke enough. Um, really? I've been learning Spanish and all sorts of other languages since then, and it's kind of pushed the tie out the other. Yeah, here. yeah, that, that happens. My wife speaks seven languages. Wow. Yeah, That's amazing. it's confusing because yeah. <laughs> she'll because she's not really aware of what language she's speaking, yeah. so she'll be going along in English till she gets to a word she doesn't know, and then it'll come out in Portuguese or mm. or French or Italian or Spanish or whatever. And, and if you don't know she's switched, you're still listening in English, and it's like, what the, what did you just say? <laughs> yeah, it can be very confusing. Um, all right, so Thailand, I, I would talk about that for hours, working with tigers in Thailand. That's great. Yeah, it's fun. It's, I mean, because you never get an opportunity to, to spend time with animals like that. I love cats. I, I'm a big cat aficionado. Yeah. I just love the vibe. Tigers are kind of a cross between cats and dogs. They behave a lot like dogs, but they have the same kind of cat instincts. Like we, mm. how we would exercise the tigers would be with like a long bamboo pole and then a bunch of leaves just kind of tied to the end, and then we'd we'd make them chase it like you would with a house cat. Right. Only they, these are you know, three hundred pound tigers jumping off huge logs and <laughs> crashing into a pool and. Right. 
So, um, so you're wrestling with them and playing with them, and do they? You ever get to a point where you're like, uh oh, I gotta like dial this back because it's getting a little too serious here. Like they've got claws. Yeah, they yeah. do. But that's what that's what we were there to do. We were there to teach them no matter what happens, no matter how excited they got, that they couldn't bite the people that. Well, any people. Yeah. They, couldn't, they can't bite humans. So part of the job was to wrestle with the tigers, to like... Take them to the edge. Kind of jump on them when they're not expecting it. And, and you'd see they're like, they'd go into like fight mode <laughs> with their claws out and their eyes would be wide, but they'd, they'd know straight away that you're human and, and that they can't bite you. So, what a fucking job, man. Yeah, that's fun. Did you get bit? Yeah, I did, actually. Yeah. Um, one tiger called Oliver, uh, he was about five months old, he always had a problem because when he was small, he fell out of the nursery window. He hurt his leg. And when he was separated from his brothers, um, they kind of ganged up on him when he came back because he was the weakest one. Um, pretty typical of the animal world. Um, but he always had a complex. And just one day when I was trying to herd him back into the, the night pen, um, he just got really scared and just lashed out and bit me. It was a, like a puncture wound. The, it just went straight through my left arm um, on the wrist down pretty deep, almost to the bone, but it was just like one tooth. It wasn't like a rip or anything. Right. Um, so it's more of a bruise than anything. Right. I kept on scratching that wound to try and get it to stay on my body because I wanted the scar. Oh, and, like, so it's a great story. Scar, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it's gone. Well, you should just tattoo the spot. Like just a... It was here. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Tiger bite here. <laughs> yeah. So if, if uh, you're out hiking in the jungle in Thailand and you come upon a tiger, what's the smart thing to do? I, I know all the tigers in Thailand now, so I'm on so you're first a, name basis. Okay. If, if, if I'm doing it, like, I'm like, I know Ben. I know Ben. Because, <laughs> ah. uh, like, I'm, I mean, I was just out hiking in, in cougar country here last week, and the guy I was with, you know, sort of gave us a little thing, like, you never run you know because yeah. they'll then they'll uh, they're already stalking you if you yeah. run um and you stand up face them get as big as you can and like bluff them yeah that's all pretty much the same thing same for tigers. tigers yeah often we'd be crouched down um helping somebody have their photo taken with one tiger um and whilst your back is turned you'd see them like try to circle around the back of you and then they come up crouch down like a like a cat about to pounce and if you don't stand up in time and turn around they would yeah Wow, and that would not be good. No. Yeah. So, uh, okay, three months, why did you leave the Tiger place? Um, I got an opportunity, I heard about an opportunity to go and live with a monk um, up in the mountains near Chiang Mai, um, and so I, I went to do that. So are you are you a practicing Buddhist, or were you? <laughs> no, I'm not a practicing Buddhist. Um, but I just wanted to go and learn a little bit about their ways um, and about meditation. Uh, I think they, there's a lot about Buddhism which is, you know, fascinating. I learned a lot um, from that time with the monk uh, that I take into my life now. Like when I'm surfing now, I, I use the, that process um, as my meditation combined with the skills that I learned in the jungle with the monk. Um, just really helped clear my mind. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, of, of all the so-called religions, Buddhism is the one that makes the most sense to me. And of course, it's not really a religion so much as a philosophy mm -hmm. or a practice. Totally. Yeah, and and you're right. It's. I was watching something, yes, the other day. I don't remember what it was, but it was a Buddhist teacher, and and the interviewer was saying to him, like, you know, so you really have to work to, you know, control your breathing and do this. And, and the teacher said, no, if you have to work, don't do it. 
Like, it's about just paying attention to where you are. You don't have to get somewhere else. Just pay attention to where you are. That's it. That's the first step right there, you know. So if you're surfing, you just, like, really, you know, be surfing. Yeah. yeah it's, it's good. It's hard to do in the Western world, though, with all the distractions. Yeah, we, just, we always try to talk about that and try to remind ourselves to just look. And I think traveling a lot, too, sometimes you forget that you're in different places and amazing places and you kind of pass it by. Yeah. And you just need to stop and just you know, really look and yeah. smell things. and Yeah. Because you do, you forget. Yeah, and, and traveling slowly is the only way. These people who go to Europe and say, I'm going to see Europe in a week. You're like, fuck. Yeah, you go yeah. find one place and sit there for yes. a week. Even yeah. that's not enough time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how do you how do you get invited to go to the mountains by a monk? I've never been invited by <laughs> any fucking it was, monks. It was a word of mouth thing. <clears throat> It was a word of mouth thing, uh, just coming down from other travelers that were passing through the region. Uh Um, It was just basically a monk that had set up his own temple uh, three hours into the mountains from from Chiang Mai, uh, above a few paddy fields. It was a pretty cool situation because you just take some food with you um, and everybody that's there cooks together like in a commune um, and we build mud mud huts um, for us all to sleep in. So your day could be spent building mud huts or helping the, the families that live around the mountain. Um, and then in the evening we did meditation together. It was, mm. There was no requirements, you could just go and chill out there. But right. it was just a fascinating experience. That sounds great. So then from there, where'd you go? Uh, from there, I kind of started making my way down through South, Southeast Asia towards Borneo and Sumatra, which you said you'd been to. Mm. Um, trekking with the orangutans in Sumatra. Um, did you go to Lake Toba? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, that was a great place. I was just the other day trying to think of the name of that place and I couldn't remember it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's fantastic. And uh, Bukatingi? Yes. Yeah, right on the equator. Yeah, that might have been where I was trekking with the orangutans, actually. Is that where they do it? The, well, when I went there a long time ago, it was, I mean, when I was there, God, when was it? Late 80s, early 90s? Um, they were north of Madan, and you know, on the coast, oh. it was on the north part, and Bukatingi's yeah. right down on the equator. Um, I don't remember the name, uh, Bukit Lawan, maybe. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I think I think that was it. Bukit Good Lawan. memory. Yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, I love Sumatra. I, I found that to be fascinating. It was really wild when I was there. I yeah, don't know. It's, it's still the, the it's the part of Indonesia that's that doesn't see a lot of tourists. It's yeah. really rewarding. You know, you won't see other travelers, but it's just, it's, I think it's like the sixth largest island in the world. Yeah. It's huge. And Grand- Lake, Lake Toba is fascinating. Do you know about the Toba eruption? The, that lake is in the crater, right, of a volcano. It's like a super volcano, right? Yeah, and when it blew 70,000 years ago, uh, the human, there's a bottleneck in the, in the gene pool of human beings. And it's from that because it covered the world in ash. It created a like a nuclear winter for a couple of years, and like uh, most of our human ancestors were wiped out. Wow. Yeah, there were there were you know proto hominids as far as oh Jesus, that is a disgusting sounding dog. Is that a dog? That is a, a fucking barking throw pillow. Oh, Humpback dog. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was a that was a major uh, planetary event when that blew, and now it's this really deep, beautiful lake. 
And when there's an island... That island, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Can you remember? No, uh, no. It'll maybe come to me. That island's the size of Singapore, and that just sits in the centre of, of this huge crater lake. Yeah, so beautiful. Have wow. you been to Crater Lake, Oregon? Yes. Yeah, I was just there two days ago. Wow. Yeah. That's one of the best cool, places huh? I've woken up in the van, I think, in the States. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. We arrived um, just before the snow melted, so it was just snow everywhere. Nobody else up there that time of year. Yeah. Stunning. Yeah. Yeah, I was just there September 30th, and, and the end of season is the end of September. Everything was closed down, nobody up there. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, anyway, so what, what are we talking about here? Uh, Sumatra. Sumatra, yeah. Oh, and that island. That island is where, so when I was there, there were no, like, official restaurants or guest houses or anything. They, there were, like, people would rent a little space in their house, and they'd, put, they'd make dinner and put a table in the front, and you could just go and eat and whatever it was and pay whatever they asked, which was nothing. It was one of the cheapest places I've ever been. But... Um, my girlfriend at the time that I was traveling with, we found this one place where they had all these puppies running around, these cute, cute dogs. And so we was like, it's the same food wherever you go. So we just kept going back to that place. It was like a little meat and gravy and rice and carrots or something. And like after like third or fourth day we went back, we were like, where are all the dogs? You know? Oh man, please tell me you aren't eating them. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> We've been eating the dogs. And the woman must have thought, like, wow, they really like this dog meat because we just kept going back. But also it must have been weird for her because we're like, hey, dogs are in playing yeah. with the dogs. So it's like going to a seafood place and, you know, playing with the lobsters, yeah. you know. It, it must have been really creepy for her. Yeah, so that's that's where I ate dog on that island. Yeah. Tastes good? Yeah, it tasted like meat and gravy, you know. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. Um, so wait a minute. Let, so let's keep going here. We're we're we haven't even gotten to this trip yet. No, so we're you're ways away from it too. <laughs> so you're, you're in Southeast Asia. You're in Sumatra, Borneo. Did you go to Borneo? I did go to Borneo. From from Sumatra, I went to the Mentawai Islands, which is the group of islands, um, very very remote. It's one of the last places that people still walk around in loincloths and have like traditional tattoos all over them. Do you know? Um, I'll tell you something amazing. Okay. Two, two and a half months ago, I was sitting at this table talking with a guy who had been to that island, lived with hunter-gatherers, and he's got a picture of himself in a loincloth. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. His name's uh, Justin Alexander. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's paradise. When I think about paradise, the Mentawe Islands is what comes to mind. Really? Um, it is one of the top ten surf destinations in the world. It's very remote, very difficult to get to. Um, I took a, a, a local boat out there and then like um, paid a fisherman to take me out to a remote island and I, I stayed with some locals that was ground zero of the, the big tsunami that right. happened. Right. Um, so they were telling me all sorts of interesting stories about how they dealt with that. Fascinating place. Mm. And is there a, like a, a traveler infrastructure or you just put up a hammock or how do you deal with that? There, there isn't really. Um, one or two um, local houses will let you come and stay on the condition that you bring all of your water and food and then you pay a few bucks um, to, to stay with them. Uh, I think it's probably developing fairly quickly, but oh, it's just gorgeous. Mm. I want to go back there now. Yeah. So how did you, were you traveling alone? 
I was. Um, well, when you're traveling alone, you're always traveling with you know, right. people that you meet along the way. So yeah. um, I've always traveled on my own since I left home in 2008. And most of the time when I start a new adventure, it's on my own. Um, but I, I meet people like Leah here along the way. How did you become so hardcore? Because you're going to places that 99% of people, even backpackers, wouldn't go to, right? Like, I didn't. I, I was in Sumatra. I heard about Nias Island, which uh, mm-hmm. is off the coast there. I met a couple surfers. I'm not a surfer, so maybe that's why. But I was like, eh, no, I'll just hang out, you know, in the guest house. I, like, th- there, was always, there were always people who went further than me. And I always wondered, like, what is it? Like, how do you, what made you go that extra... I don't, I'm not sure. I think I've always been driven to um, do things that other people don't do, like look for unique experiences. Part of the reason why I bought the van in Chile um, was because I didn't want to be on the backpacker gringo trail on a bus with all the other tourists on, right. their, on their gap year. Um, so I thought I'd do something different. Uh, and that has pretty much been my driving philosophy since I left. Always looking for a different experience. It's what took me to the Monk. It's what took me to the Tigers. Um, it's what took me to the Mentawe Islands in Indonesia. Um, and also from there, I went to, to Borneo um, and went looking, to, looking for the headhunters and that whole community there. And it was the same sort of thing. I, wanted, I didn't want to go on a tour. I wanted to go and find my own experience. Um, that was actually pretty cool because we took a boat as far as we could down a river into the jungle um, and then just started hanging out at the local market. Me and this other Australian guy that I met, we were sleeping in like refuge, kind of like refuge places it was for really poor local people, for homeless people. They would just gather in, in like a derelict building. We would sleep with them until we met enough local people to be invited to one of the... They're called longhouses. It's yeah. where, where the, the headhunters live. Um, it's like a, I don't know, a 100-yard long house, one, one room that the entire village lives in yeah. along the bank of the river. So we went and hung out with them for a few days. Um, got very, very drunk. They, they got me the most drunk I've ever been in my entire life, I think, on their local palm wine, which is something they make from palm trees. Mm. It's some milk-looking substance which tastes vile and you... You're supposed to drink it by the pints. Like, like one glass is filled up, given to you, and it's not nobody else drinks until you've drunk that whole pint of disgusting white fluid. It's not made f- from spit, is it? Because <laughs> you know, in South America, they, yeah. they do a chicha. I think it's called. Chicha, yeah. yeah, yummy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. You got, you know, it's hard to say no to a drink being offered by people who are taking how, care of you. In a, how you do know? you? You have to. You have yeah. to drink it. I, I kept on drinking it until I don't remember anything. I, I think I passed out about six o'clock in the evening and woke up at four o'clock in the morning, desperate for a pee in pitch black because obviously there's no lights, no oh. electricity, and just trying to feel the walls, trying to find an exit, stumbling over bodies on the floor. You don't want to piss on your host. <laughs> no, that would be <laughs> antisocial to, say, yeah, to yeah. say the least. You won't be invited back to the longhouse. Yeah, wow. That's that's an adventure. Okay, so Borneo, where do you go from there? Um, I travelled up through Borneo, um, pretty much hitchhiking, backpacking, um, scuba diving around the... There's an island called Sipadan at the very top of Borneo, which is just an unbelievable paradise. Mm. It's this tiny, tiny island which you can walk around in about 10 minutes. Um, 
and nobody's allowed to stay on there and only a few people are allowed to dive there um, every day. It's really, really well protected because it's so special. It, as you swim off the island, it just drops down off this like cliff, this wall that goes down three kilometres, whatever that is in miles. Um, and it's just the incredible sea life. Mm. You dive down and you drift along and huge like four feet turtle come come along and swim along next to you and there's walls of barracuda which you know are as big as my body like uh, it's just I want to get crazy yeah <laughs> so did you how did you finance all this was this all just money you'd saved up when you were back in the game yeah when I was working um, in IT I was just saving up money saving up money like every penny I could get I was putting away knowing that one dollar saved there was going to get me you know so much more on the road and to be honest the first year of travel in southeast asia i spent about six thousand dollars you know which is it was almost free i lived pretty well um i I wasn't getting paid very much at the tiger place um, and i was only a few months anyway it really didn't cost me very much because i tend to camp out sleep in a hammock um stay with local people as much as possible and the food is, you know, yeah. you spend how many, just a few bucks a day on food, right? And it's good food. Yeah. I love the food in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Thailand, in Indonesia, those, I don't forget what it's called, with all the little plates, you know. Uh, nasi champu. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's and, good. Yeah, nasi goreng and uh, gado gado. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. peanut sauce. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's tasty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I just kicked your little dog there. Um, uh, okay, well, it, just keep going. This is great. I love this. So, you, so you're, you've got some money saved up. You're trying to get work on the road, but that's hard, and you're not going to get paid much anyway. So, by this point, I'd been, you know, I'd already been working um, for like eight years on and off through studies. So, I had some money saved up. Um, I wasn't really looking for work. I was looking for more. I was looking for opportunities that I couldn't have done. Um, when I was at home. So like, yeah. I couldn't have gone and worked with Tigers. It wouldn't have paid enough for, to sustain my life. And plus, can you even do that in the UK? I'm not right. sure. <laughs> right. um, so, but I think after, after Borneo, I'd been in Asia about a year. Uh, I, did a, I did a bit of surfing in, um, in Bali and then I decided I wanted to go to Australia and try and get some work because money was running low. So I flew to Western mm. Australia, to Perth, um, uh, and as a Brit, you can do that, right? Yeah, if you're under 30 years old, in a lot of places you can get working holiday visas. Ah. So it was my last chance to get a working holiday visa for Australia, which I thoroughly recommend um, to anybody that's thinking about traveling. Australia should be your first port of call. It's a pain in the ass for Americans, though. Getting into the UK is really hard, I were uh, into Australia. You know why that is? It's because America Americans makes it, are assholes. They make it really hard for everyone else to come here. Yeah. So everywhere else makes it really hard for Americans. I to hear go you, there. man. Yeah, I live in Spain. Twenty years, I don't have a Spanish driver's license because of that. Because Spanish kids come to the U.S. and get their license at sixteen, and then go back to Spain and say, "Yeah, I have my license." And Spain just said, "Hey, America, would you stop giving Spanish kids driver's licenses?" And America said, "Fuck off." So now you're an American in Spain, you can't get a driver's license. You have to, like, go to school. You have to do the whole fucking thing. You can't just, like, look, I have a license, you know? No, no, no. Any other country, fucking, you know, Bolivians go in, like, here's my Bolivian license. Oh, okay, here you go. There's the Spanish one. Yeah, not Americans. (laughs) 
don't get me started on Americans. <laughs> anyway, so uh, you recommend uh, the Australia to uh, young non-American uh, people. Good place to go, get a job in a bar, meet... It's, yeah, it's, it pays well. It pays really well. How yeah. much? It's like minimum 20 bucks an hour, right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And it's really easy to find a cash in hand job. Yeah. 20 bucks an hour, it goes a long way. Yeah. Cost of living over there is high, but um, that's pretty much where I developed my love for, for living in a van um, and traveling by van. I bought a van in Western Australia and pretty much started a similar project as to the one I'm doing now, where I invited anybody that I met along the way to come and travel with me and live in the van. So maybe like 30 odd people joined me as I traveled all the way around Australia, surfing the most remote breaks and you know, just having a really good time. So, what's what's the thing? You you uh, you want to be guru or what? Why why are you uh, cultivating followers? <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't call them followers. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people when they go backpacking, they want to do it as easy easily as they can. They just throw the things in their bag and they hit the road. And it can become quite tiring traveling for a long time out of a backpack. I'm sure you you, you can see that. You've had that experience. Sure. Um, so it's nice when you like when I was the one to have the van to be able to offer somebody to go to a place that they would have had to take three buses to get to. Right. Um, you know, and I never found it difficult to find people wanting to join me. Um, I was always going to the places that they wished that they could get to. So. Right. And. And you probably got a lot of good information from people along the way because that's the thing people don't understand about traveling. Like you can't plan your trip from home. You just get there and start talking to people, and that's you'll hear the all this way. cool shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a nice way to go. So, did you pick up hitchhikers as well, or was it more people you met in cafes or whatever? Got a dog situation happening. Looks really quiet anyway. Well, a lot, a lot, of, butt of, sniffing lot of butt going. sniffing going down here. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I tended to meet, uh, pick up hitchhikers, um, people I met at beaches, um, people I met at at backpackers, hostels, uh, just just anyone really going the same way with the right vibes. They have something similar to Craigslist in in Australia, right? Gumtree, yeah. Gumtree. So there's people looking for ride shares on Gumtree too. Um, and that helped me keep my costs down in an otherwise really expensive place. Because Australia chip in for gas? Yeah. So we shared the cost of gas and food, uh, and it made living on about 10 bucks a day pretty easy. Uh, wow. What kind of van did you have? I had a Mazda 2000. It's like a Ford, like a Ford Econovan uh, style. Right. Um, it was cool. We painted it with hand, hand, coloured hand prints. We just bought a bunch of different paints, and everybody that was living in the van just put hand prints all over like it. Like an Aboriginal rock art mm, thing. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so one of my questions for you, and it's, this isn't exactly the right time for it, but why the fuck a Volkswagen? Yeah, like that's the a good famous shit van that breaks down <laughs> constantly. That's the one you pick to go from one end of the world to the other. Yeah, I didn't get that memo. <laughs> but it's true, they do break down. You, well, you know what? I, honestly, this is funny. I didn't know that either. Uh, and I'd, I'd always thought, like, ah, you know, they're great because it's German engineering and the Westphalia is, like, all built to sleep in and all that. And I think it was after I watched some videos on your site and then 
like I saw there was a hashtag like combi life or something on uh-huh. uh, maybe you had it or whatever in the mar- and then I, I went to Instagram obviously I was I'm supposed to be writing a book this is why my book's not written I'm fucking around on the internet <laughs> and and then I, I like saw like there's this whole thing about people living but it's like they're all sort of masochists <laughs> you know all these guys in the Volkswagens because they're like yeah yeah we know they always break down but you know someone else with a VW will come by and they'll stop and they'll help you and there's this community of, yeah. of people with their yeah. shitty broken down vans yeah. and I saw in your thing like you've changed the engine like 10 times or something yeah I've um, had the engine out and rebuilt it 10 times since I left Chile which has been a huge part of my trip and completely changed a lot of things about from where I could have gone um, to who I am today. Like, I've literally changed as a person because of that Volkswagen. <laughs> I've developed patience, which I never thought I could. All right, so this is the Zen approach to uh, Volkswagen repair. Yeah. Zen in the art of VW repair. You ever read that book? No, I want to. I think because I think I'm going to write a similar. Yeah, copy. That, that would be good, actually. Seriously, that because a lot of people remember that book, or at least have heard the title, "Zen yeah. in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance." So you could play off that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been a real challenge getting that Volkswagen up up here. Um, I've spent about 12 months of my life living in various Latin mechanics. Um, can you imagine 12 months of your life living in mechanics, covered in oil, sometimes not being able to wash? It was hell. Yeah. Yeah, you probably met some good people, though. Yeah. That I you mean, wouldn't have met otherwise. Yeah, and I had to remind myself that um, the reason that I was doing this journey through Latin America was to meet um, people in these cultures and not to go to all the beautiful tourist hotspots like Machu Picchu, but to actually learn about the Latino culture and, and by being in these mechanics and getting mm. dirty alongside these people right. um, and you know eating tacos with my hands covered in oil just like they did like I could see how they lived and you know I was able to bond with them in a completely different way yeah I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd just been hiring their services as, as a tourist right so if you had like bought a Mercedes Sprinter van for example I would have already been to Alaska and back again and probably yeah. be halfway around the world by now in my reliable Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's an age thing, you know. I'm in my 50s now, so I'm looking at a Mercedes Sprinter. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at Mercedes Sprinter too. <laughs> <laughs> You're growing up. <laughs> You're growing up. Well, I think maybe it's like there's a quota of shit you need to deal with before you can justify, like, fuck it. You know, I'm going to buy my way out of this. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I backpacked for 10 years, and I'm not backpacking anymore. Mm. I mean, I do. I have a backpack, but, you know. But, but you know, but you can't go too far in the other direction either, because you end up... I remember one time I was in uh, Mexico. I had been... This was my first trip to Mexico. I flew in and out from Cancun. And Cancun wasn't crazy then I mean it was still commercial bullshit but it wasn't as bad as it is now but I went from Cancun and I went all through the Yucatan and down to Palenque and up to San Cristobal de las Casas and had all these adventures there and then I was on my way back it had been like four months and it was my birthday and I was arriving in Cancun my flight was the next day and it's my birthday and I was like fuck it man I'm gonna spend some money I'm gonna get a really nice room in an expensive hotel and I did I paid 50 bucks or whatever it was and I 
this was in this hotel and air conditioning and CNN and and I went down to the pool and they had like a bar in the pool and I'm floating around and it's like me and a bunch of fat businessmen and I'm like what the fuck man there's nobody here you know I thought I was gonna party and like oh you know hey let's spend some money and get drunk there's nobody there I even wanted to talk to mm-hmm. so yeah you can't really buy your way out too far or there's nobody left <laughs> yeah right yeah Although now I'd probably fit in better with the fat businessman <laughs> than, than I did then. <laughs> so, okay, so where are we? So, I don't know, we were in Borneo. Did that trip continue or was that yeah, the end of the trip? I went to Australia. Oh, Australia, van. that's where I went. Went all the way around yeah, Australia. Right. Fell in love with van life. Right. Um, and then decided there was a, still a lot left in the world, a lot of places left in the world that I wanted to go to, but I was running out of money and figured... Fall in love with any Australian women? Several, several, several. Australian... Yeah. Left a string of lovers in Australia. No, that's uh, not true. You, you little children in Australia? <laughs> several. <laughs> little scuba divers? That's my retirement plan. Go back and find all my lost kids. Right, and ask them for <laughs> some money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good plan. That's, yeah. that's what most of the world does. They just keep churning out kids and then... You know, yeah, that's their retirement plan. That's it. Yeah, um, yeah. I would think like that kind of van life would lend itself to uh, hooking up with with women, and not not just like a casual thing, because then you're traveling together, so you can actually really get to know each other. It's a little bit difficult um, with a van. If you start, if something starts romantically, it's not like you know your first date. You're pretty much living with each other. Yeah, that's and true that can be really challenging because you know two weeks together feels like you've been together six months yeah you can't just leave her at the rest stop well you can it's just not (laughs) it's not very polite it's not gentlemanly is it yeah no it's true traveling together van or not is is a great way to test a relationship Mm -hmm. because I mean normally it takes six months till you get disgusting around each other and start farting and you know but when you're traveling it's just like hey six minutes we're in, we're in Mexico. I got diarrhea. What are you going to do? Yeah. Oh, I could tell you some stories about that. <laughs> you do have the best shit stories. Oh, it? let's hear it. Oh, the, great. The podcast I just recorded, I was telling you, that I mentioned my buddy, that it's about a shit disaster in India. <laughs> a Literally. Shit, to a this shit. morning, before meeting you, I spent an hour recording a shit story. Oh, wow. So let's hear a shit story. <laughs> Oh man, where to start? Which... No, you have so many, so many great ones. <laughs> Which one do you like, Leah? I like the one where you were in the mechanics and you had. You had oh, that, that was a good one. Ben's greatest shits. So probably, <laughs> probably the worst mechanic experience I had was when I was stranded in one mechanics in southern Mexico uh, for five months, and I decided that I was going to fix everything that was wrong with the combi. I was fed up with you know, rebuilding the engine. I think it was rebuild number eight. And I was like, this time I'm going to do everything right. So I took all the windows out and fixed, you know, plan to paint it. Um, it, The combi was up on on blocks. There were no wheels on it. There were no axles on it. All the windows were out. Um, There was newspaper everywhere. It was a horrible place to live. So what do you do? You just like go there and say, I want to rent your tools and fix my truck? Yeah, I just turned, I drove, I spent the whole day driving around that town, Tapachula it's called, um, and just asking different mechanics if I could rent a little bit of shade under a tree, under a roof. Um, I told them I couldn't afford to pay them to do the work. I wanted to do the work myself. I was just asking for a hand 
and most people said no. One right. person said yes. Um, and I ended up living there for five months. He <laughs> <laughs> regretted that. Yeah, no, we're good friends now. Uh, yeah. um, but during this time, uh, I was asking the guys if the water was drinkable because I'd seen a few of them, you know, like looked like they were drinking from the hose. And everybody said, yes, yes, you can drink the water. And so after a couple of weeks of feeling really shitty, um, I said to them again, like, can you, are you sure you can drink this water? And they were like, yeah, you can drink it. But what they meant is you can swallow it, not that it's actually good for you. So I um, poured some out into a bottle and just noticed all of these parasites that you could see, all the mosquito larvae um, floating around. And immediately I realized why I'd been sick. Um, I was sick for about a month living there. Uh, the highlight of that was um, desperately needing to take a number two um, about two o'clock in the morning. Uh, and the only toilet in this scrapyard that I was living at was in in the corner of the yard, which was a metal building just built out of like corrugated tin sheets. Um, and in that, is that your bag? Yeah, I'm sorry. In, in, that, um, in that tin house lived, I think five or six people. And if I, every time I went to the toilet, if I opened the door, it would just wake up the entire family. And then I had this chronic diarrhea so I was just like, I'm not gonna go and wake them up at two o'clock in the morning. So I jumped out of the van, stomach rumbling with a plastic bag in my hand and ran across the, the yard completely naked um, and squatted down behind an old beetle um, and just like had projectile diarrhea into this plastic bag. A couple of minutes went past and then I heard somebody cough in the yard and realized there was somebody there with me. And there was a guy um, that was throwing up. He was also sick, uh, probably drinking the same water. He, he was throwing up um, in the corner and basically I had to hide behind this beetle looking out to see if he was gone. I didn't know if he'd seen that I was there. I didn't know if he was still there. It was dark. So after about 10 minutes, I just like stood up naked with my bag of dripping poo and walked across the yard. He was still there and just kind of dumped the, the, the bag in, into the garbage and climbed back into bed. I couldn't look them in the eye for about a month after that. <laughs> Did you recognize the guy? Yeah, no, he was the guy living in the, like, in the house. So. Oh, he was the, the main guy? Yeah, there was only, it was a closed yard, so there was uh, like one family and me and my ex-girlfriends living in this old Volkswagen. Right. Horrible experience. Yeah. Actually, speaking of your ex-girlfriend, uh, one of the videos I watched was really touching. It was the one you made shortly after she'd left. Yeah. I thought that was that was really nicely handled because you knew people were going to be wondering, you know, and you, but you were really open-hearted about it. Yeah, I didn't really intend to share my life so publicly. Um, I just wanted to start making videos of, of what I do because... Um, I wanted to inspire people to just kind of grab a little bit more out of life and, you know, to get out there traveling and then have their own adventures. So I started making the videos and all of a sudden I'd made a bunch of them and people kind of knew who I was and yeah. who I am. Um, and so the point when the when Sean left, I had to, I felt like I had to tell people, you know, what happened and give them some insight into that because relationships on the road can be really really tough it's probably the hardest thing about long-term travel is building long standing relationships because you're always moving yeah. or they're always moving and uh yeah. yeah it was one of the hardest things i've had to deal with on on the trip making that video and and having sean leave and there was a beautiful sort of montage i don't know if it was the same video or another one of all of, uh, of, of like moments 
Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was really nice. So were you a videographer before you were on the road? Cause no. I, your I, stuff's really good. Thank you. Um, I've been learning how to make videos on the way. So I've been learning from my bus in remote places without internet, which has been tricky because most of the time when anyone wants to learn something these days, they watch a YouTube yeah. video on how to, how to do it. Um, I didn't always have that opportunity, so I just struggled on and, and have learned how to make videos on the way. They're getting better all the time. What do you shoot with? Uh, I have a Sony um, A6000 camera, kind of like a compact DSLR style. I have a GoPro as well. Oh, you have a GoPro, yeah. yeah. It's always good for a backup. And then you edit on a laptop or something? Yep, I've got a pretty decent laptop. You need to, they need to be pretty powerful for um, video yeah. editing. And I turned my, my combi into a mobile production studio, put a solar panel on, um, built, built a battery out of recycled laptop batteries that I got from eBay. Um, and Leah here actually uh, soldered the battery together. Mm. Um, and that gives us about a week of power in the bus in, in remote locations. Wow, that's great. So that's really good, yeah. It means that we can keep editing um, and keep sharing the adventure with people. Right. Right, and then you, you just sort of edit it, put it together, and then next time you're in a town with Wi-Fi or something, you upload it. Spends like, yeah, sometimes it's difficult, you know, like you go to a Starbucks or something, if there is one, and um, upload it, but it can take, you know, it shows six hours to upload. So you end up sitting there drinking way too much coffee. <laughs> you get all vibrating and nervous. Yeah, it's really challenging um, doing, making videos and sharing videos as you're moving. I think most yeah. people that document trips like this tend to go home, produce everything from home, and then, you know, upload the series like that. Right. But you've got sort of like a media channel where people can follow what you're doing. Right, so it's important that you upload it as you go yeah. to keep people along. As best I can, I try to. I have like, you know, the Instagram, Facebook, um, so people, I try to give people a picture every day of where we are. Yeah. The, the videos are a little bit um, backdated because it takes so long to produce them. And I try to do them a, a good quality. Uh, but I, I keep a video coming up every week or two on YouTube. Right, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm, uh... I'm just going to take a, a picture of us here because I, I like to take pictures. Wait, no, that's the wrong. You can tell how often I do this. Did we lose our dog? I know she's here. Right, here we go. That's Karina. There we go. There we are. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so how did how did you get into the the idea of making your trip um, this social media? event? Um, I just wanted to share it. I just wanted to share the trip. Um, I didn't really know much about social media, but I figured uh, I would have to learn, you know, how to do Facebook and how to do Instagram and those kind of things. Um, and I thought they'd be useful skills to learn anyway. It wouldn't be a waste of time. Um, I wasn't sure if anyone would be interested in that kind of thing. Um, but I think people are interested in, in alternative lifestyles. Yeah. I think a lot of questions are coming up about whether we should be living our lives the way that we do is society you know should we really be getting a job and then getting married and you know have a house and kids is that really what just because everyone else is doing it is that what we should be doing um and i chose a different avenue um just to go out and explore and 
and travel. And uh, I wanted to kind of ex share that with people that weren't able to do it or that, that were thinking that they might want to do it. Because I try to share not just all the great adventures that we have and the amazing experiences, but also the tough times, you know, when I'm stuck and I'm stranded and tired and, you know, let people see the real, the real full experience of travel. Let's take a break. Is there a song that I should play during the break? Is there some song that really uh, resonates? Is there a soundtrack to the trip? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a tough one. It is really tough. And you must listen to a lot of music in the van. Yeah. On the road. Um, How about, do you know Colin Hay? Do you know the men at work? He has a beautiful song called Beautiful World. Love that song. That sounds appropriate. Maybe I'll play that. Play that, please. My, 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 it's a beautiful world. I like swimming in the sea. I like to go out beyond the white breakers. Where a man can still be free, or a woman if you are one. I like swimming in the sea My, 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 it's a beautiful world I like drinking Irish tea With a little bit of lapsang souchong I like making my own My, 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 it's a beautiful world I like driving in my car I roll the top down, sometimes I travel quite far Drive to the ocean, stare up at the stars I like driving in my car all around is anger, automatic guns. It's death in large numbers, no respect for women or our little ones. I tried talking to Jesus, but he just put me on hold. Said he'd been swamped by calls this week and he could not shake his cold. And still this emptiness persists Perhaps this is as good as it gets When you've given up the drink and those nasty cigarettes Now leave the party early At least with no regrets I watch the sun as it comes up I watch it as it sets Yeah, this is as good as it gets It's a beautiful world I like sleeping with Marie She is one sexy girl Full of mystery She says she doesn't love me but She likes my company For now that's good enough It's a beautiful world I like swimming in the sea 
had to go out beyond the white breakers Where a man can still be free Or a woman if you are one I like swimming in the sea back unless i change my mind that was beautiful world by colin hay he's great colin hay he was the the lead singer of men at work you know i come from the land down under you know you know that song uh-uh. oh yeah it's that's like it was like one of the biggest hits of the 80s i think um and it's about uh being on the hippie trail in india I can't sing, or I'd sing it for you. But you definitely know the song. Yeah, you're fucking with me. Oh man, it's so bad. You don't even. I can't even like make flute sounds. I was still digging in sandpits in the '80s, so. Well, but this is a this song's ubiquitous. Like, there's no way you don't know this song. Yeah, I'll play it for you later. Chris here. Did you guys catch that? Traveling in a fried out combi on the hippie trail, head full of zombie. How is it that Ben doesn't know that song? It's about traveling in a VW, man. Anyway, great song. Uh, I'm just going to insert an acoustic version of that song for you. Uh, Again, Colin Hay. Go buy something from him on iTunes. His later work is fantastic, his his uh, solo stuff. And uh, that way I won't get in trouble for playing it here, maybe. Ah, it's educational. I'm doing this for educational purposes, which gives me a, a waiver on all those laws, I'm sure. So here's Down Under, an acoustic version of the song that was so famous in the 80s. Even though Ben doesn't know it or didn't know it, I guess he does now, don't you, Ben? And... Uh, This is sung by an older man, and it's about traveling. It's about being on the road, the strange people you meet, the interesting stuff that happens. Take cover. 
six foot four, full of muscle. I said, do you speak my language, brother? He just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. I come from a land down under Where beaters flow and chunder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder You better run, you better take cover Anyway, he, uh, uh, you know, they were on top of the world. They were, you know, they won all these Emmys or Grammys or whatever the fuck you win for records. And, uh, and then the band broke up and it was over. And so now he, he's solo and um, he writes these beautiful songs. It's just him and a guitar and he tours and part of the... We saw him here in Portland a while ago, and, and a big part of the story is, like, what it's like to be incredibly famous for, like, two years and then disappear, you know, and just be completely done. That must mess with your head. Yeah, yeah, I would think it messed with his. But he was very open about it, and, uh, yeah, cool guy. Anyway, this song, Beautiful World, that I just played, um, I love it because it's very... Uh, melancholic you know he says uh, my 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 it's a beautiful world I like swimming in the sea I like to go out beyond the white breakers where a man can still be free or a woman if you are one and then the next one is I like making my own tea with a little bit of lapsang sushan yeah I like making my own tea so it's all about these small little things that make him happy mm -hmm. you know um, but then there's uh, the bridge he says uh Basically, he says, like, this is as good as it gets. 
And he's not saying, he's not celebrating, he's saying like, this is life, this is life. When you leave the party early, at least with no regrets. You've given up the drink and those nasty cigarettes. It's, so it's all about a sort of melancholic happiness that comes with age, I think. Uh, at least for some people where it, it reminds me, I, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, um, Choi Gyum Trungpa, I don't know if you know him, he was a Tibetan Buddhist monk. Um, first Tibetan Buddhist who spoke English and, and sort of brought Tibetan Buddhism to the West. He wrote a book where he talked about um, how people have this misconception of what uh, enlightenment is. And they think it's bliss all the time. And he said, it's not bliss, it's balance. It's that no matter how happy you are, you never forget how much suffering there is going on around you. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much you're suffering, you never forget how beautiful the world is. That's, that's enlightenment. It's balance. It's not happiness. You know, it's not un, uh, unadulterated bliss. It's, it's just balance and perspective. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, if, on my journey, I wouldn't want to have just good times all the time because you right. don't, you can't appreciate them. You don't, you have nothing to put it into perspective. Yeah. Actually, when I'm having a tough time, I like it because, it, <laughs> you know, at the time I, I'm, you know, miserable and like everything's really difficult, but I know that it's just making the good times what they are. Yeah. I can truly appreciate them. Yeah, exactly. You have to have the tough times with the good times. You were, um, when, when we took a pause there, you were talking about the challenge of making the videos and, and how it's become sort of work for you in some ways, right? Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of people don't realize how much work goes into sharing the adventure. Um, when I'm not editing and producing videos, I'm, I'm filming the next one. So it is a full-time job now, and there's no traditional pay structure for this kind of thing. Like, I'm not claiming a check, so... Right. Um, it's like being an entrepreneur, you know, you have to try to... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, well, I was trying to... Is that the song? No, it's not. Fuck. I'm going to have to edit this out. Um, do you know the song Down Under? I come from the yeah. land down under. I come from the land down under. I love that song. He says you he's... Never heard he, is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know that song. Everybody knows that song. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I was trying to find it on my on my phone, but yeah, I can't I can't do two things at once. Um, yeah, so, but you do, you do, I, did I sign up like a Patreon or something? You have a, you have a way to support the travel, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's um, a great new, um, there's a lot of these crowdfunding things that people are familiar with now where you can raise money for a project like the one I'm doing. Um, but Patreon is a, a way of um, funding ongoing um, right. things like this podcast, for example. People that like listening to it can sign up to tip a couple of dollars if you have a campaign. And I have a campaign for my YouTube channel, Combi Life, K-O-M-B-I, not with a C. Um, and yeah, so people that are supporting me, they're, they're chipping in a few bucks here and there when I upload a video, um, and that allows me to put the, the money back into the project because just the camera equipment and the hard drives I need for the, all the footage alone is more money than I can earn on the road. Right. So um, it's really amazing that that the technology exists now for me to be able to share an adventure like this through a platform that everybody can access all over the world um, and that people 
can support that if they want to see more that they they can make projects like this project happen yeah i think it's fantastic it really is this book i'm writing now um the chapter i just finished i was researching kickstarter a little bit and the whole idea of crowdfunding yeah how i'm trying to wrap my head around how the internet is going to change the world and you know i used to be sort of a skeptic about it but I've got this friend who keeps hammering on me how amazing it is, and he's got a podcast that's got a million listeners, a million wow. subscribers, easy. His name's Joe Rogan. He's a very interesting guy. Anyway, um, I was reading this book, and the argument made in the book is similar to what Joe's been saying, but with a lot of very interesting data points. Like, for example, two years after Kickstarter um, began, they were already spending more money in support of arts than the National Endowment of the Arts in wow. the U.S. Yeah. And now it's like three times that. It's just insane, the amount of money. And it's just people, like you say, like, yeah, I, I'll put 20 bucks toward that. But there are a lot of those people. Yeah. And so if you can mobilize them and put them in touch with different things, it suddenly all, all sorts of things become possible that never would have been before. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, something like what you're doing, where it's like, okay, I'm doing this adventure, Come along with me. If you if you want to buy a tank of gas for me, that would be great. And it's technologically, it's very easy to do now. Yeah, um, all through PayPal, it's it's you know it's just it's great. I, my trip would have stopped a long time ago, um, halfway through probably in Costa Rica, if it hadn't been for the the followers, the people that had, that discovered that I was sharing this this journey on YouTube, um, started to chip in a little bit of money, and I was able to make repairs that. I previously wasn't able to do and mm. keep the project moving like that. Right. Yeah, I do. I used to have ads on this podcast, and um, after a while, I just got really tired of it because one of the recurring themes that I like to talk about is what what a mistake consumerism is, you know, and like save your money and go on a fucking trip, you mm -hmm. know, or you don't need to buy shit to be happy. And then I'm like selling underwear, you know, like it didn't make sense. So I just went to a completely donation-based system and it's great, it's, it's wonderful. Um, uh, people, the one I use is called Fund What You Love and it's started by a guy who listens to the podcast so I wanted to, you know, go through him rather than Patreon. Um, and uh, That's cool, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's really good and he takes a much smaller cut than they do and you know, it's just, it's, it's not a huge thing yet, but it's, it's great. And um, the other way I make money for the podcast is that people buy, people who have uh, Amazon accounts uh -huh. go through my affiliate link on my webpage yeah. and you get five to 7% of what they spend and it comes out of Amazon's money. Like it doesn't cost any more. So it's just a way to get money from Amazon. And people are buying stuff anyway, so they go to your website, click on the thing, takes them to Amazon. Then, you know, if they buy like a camera or a computer, you get 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever. It's a pretty cool way to do it. Yeah, I think uh, for digital nomads now, you need to have a few different revenue streams, you know, sure. like things like that, like advertisement if you, if you like, or affiliates through Amazon, or, you know, selling merchandise. I sell a few t-shirts, like one a month, mm. <laughs> but it's, you know, yeah, every I sell t-shirts too. My mom's in charge of the t-shirt sales. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about putting my mom onto that. She needs a <laughs> retirement project. Definitely, and moms love to be involved in that kind of stuff. At least my mom does. 
Uh, yeah, I had a guy on here recently, Australian guy, who's a big traveler, and he makes uh, herbal teas, and his mom sells them out of the garage back in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So where where, where are we? Where are you? Where, what's going on? You've, you've been north. You were on some boat for a while. Yeah, I mean, I've been, for the last four years, I've been driving the bus north from Chile all the way through Latin America. Um, having an absolute blast, having an absolute nightmare, you know, all of the amazing things that I expected and tons more that I never expected. Yeah. That is the nature of the beast. That's what travel is. Exactly. Um, and I managed uh, to just tip, uh, get the tires over the border of Alaska, finally arrived. Ah, you were um, on the Alcan Highway? Yeah, yeah, going up the, the Alaskan Highway. Came, yeah. We yeah. Came, yeah, on the Alcan. We came to Skagway. Um, got across to Haines, which is just on the other side of the border. Oh, you went up on the ferry? Yeah, we crossed from Skagway to Haines on the ferry and then our transmission died, uh. which is a real pain in the butt when you have a Brazilian combi um, because they're different, they built them differently. Um, so I you know, called everybody I knew in the Volkswagen world. I put out lots of messages. Lots of people were searching for a replacement transmission. Um, it didn't look like we were going to get a, a solution before winter came because it's already snowing up there. Um, so we ended up having to leave the, the combi in Alaska and come south in search of a solution. Mm. I've got a friend who lives in uh, Haines. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's a small place. Yeah. Beautiful though, right? It is gorgeous. Have you been yeah. up there? I have, yeah. Uh, both Haines and Skagway. I hitchhiked to Alaska. I took the ferry up one summer, started from Haines, and the other started from Skagway. Went hitchhiked all the way up through, is it Yellowknife in the Yukon, and then nice. over to Fairbanks and down. Had all sorts of adventures up there. Yeah, Alaska has... Um, I mean, obviously, I've been driving the, towards Alaska for four years. I've, you know, I've got a dog that's named after my destination. She's right. called Alaska. There's, you know, this, this big hype about going exploring in Alaska, and I, get, I just get across the border, and boom, the combi gives up. I couldn't, I couldn't leave it there, you know. Like, a lot of people would say, look, you've gone through so much. You've been through 10-engine rebuilds by this point. Just... Just give up. You got to Alaska. You got the bloody thing. Well, it's not. It's not give up. It's declare victory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm too stubborn. If at first you don't succeed, redefine success. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was planning to drive all the way up to Prudhoe Bay, which is the top of the Panamericana, um, up in the Arctic Circle. Yeah. I really wanted to go up there and, and see how the people cope living up there. I want to learn about the culture, the Eskimos, and, you know. That's all oil, oil rigs in Prudhoe Bay. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I'll find. But, you know, I could have potentially just given, sorry, succeeded. <laughs> I could have succeeded and finished my trip in Haines. Um, but I decided partway along the journey that I was going to give my combi to one of my followers. Um, and I didn't want to just, you know, <laughs> say, congratulations, you've won. Um, come and get yeah, it. Yeah, come to it, it from here. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. And you can't find a replacement transmission. <laughs> so um, what I'm doing over winter is basically finding a replacement transmission or having one um, custom rebuilt by the guys at Rancho who do excellent work on transmissions. They're based out of California. Mm. Um, and then hopefully I'm going to get the transmission sent up there. Um, I met a guy with a plane, so he may be flying us to Alaska. We're just trying to work this out at the moment. Um, 
and then we will finish this trip and I will gloriously arrive in Prudhoe Bay and swim in the Arctic Ocean <laughs> and officially declare victory as yeah. long as the engine That'll doesn't. be next summer. That'll be, yeah, I can't go now because it's yeah, snowing. Um, yeah, you have to kind of work with the seasons up in Alaska. Um, yeah, so that's the plan. And then once I've got up there, I will draw the, the lucky winner um, and give the bus away and someone else can start their adventure. How are you going to give the bus away in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska? Um, I'm not going to tell, I, well, <laughs> I basically, I, I've done it like this. I, I said to all the people that have chipped into the project that are supporting me through the various ways of, you know, just donations or through Patreon, um, for each dollar that you've donated towards the project, uh, you will have one chance to win the bus. And so then I have a pool of, I think currently about 450 people that are on the list to win the bus. I will pick one of them and hopefully one of those people will still want the bus and they will either come and get it from me at the top of the world. <laughs> come and get it in of Bay. Or they will give me a bit of gas money for me to drive it to them, which is probably more likely. And if they win it, if it's someone outside of North America that wins it, um, I will arrange it to be shipped to them. Uh, the, the details still to be worked out. This sounds pretty harebrained to me, man. I don't know. I quite like the idea. You're gonna spend like ten thousand dollars to ship an old beat-up van to some winner, lucky winner in Australia. I yeah, don't know. Well, hopefully, they pay me to drive it to them, and I could drive it all the way across the world. There yeah, you go. There you go. But it will get there. I, I've committed to giving it away, so it's, it's going to happen. Right. And uh, maybe that will be a theme of mine. Maybe the next adventure vehicle I get, I will do another project, slightly different. You know, some other her brain idea, um, and then give that vehicle away. Maybe I'll get a boat and then give that boat away. I've got a friend who's who's traveling around the world right now on his yacht, which is a $15 million, you know, 130-foot yacht with a sauna. And oh my God. I don't Holy think cow. he's giving it away at the end. No. Uh, I, I'm going to have to talk to I'll him. I'll be about, first in line. I'll introduce yeah. the idea next time I see him. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Um, where, to tell us where people find you, what, your website, your Instagram, all that stuff. Um, most of the, everything's accessible through the YouTube channel, and the YouTube channel is Combi Life, K-O-M-B-I, Life. Um, it's the same as my website, which is combilife.com. Um, and I have links to all the, the Facebook and the Instagram. We try to put up pictures of our activities every day because we, you know, we do random things all the time, end up sleeping in weird places, meet cool people. When we were stranded in Haines, um, we jumped on a sailboat and spent the last month sailing south um, through the Inside Passage. Oh, um, that's great. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. You know, seeing really remote um, old canneries and like beautiful hot springs where there's nobody else there. And, yeah. It's, it's uh, my captain says that he's put some salt behind my ears or something like that, whatever he says, but <laughs> put salt behind your ears now, boy. <laughs> and yeah, I've, I've pretty much um, decided that at some point in the future I will sail, sail around the world. I've just got to work out one, how to sail, and two, how to get a boat. Yeah, minor details. Minor details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, once you, uh, you know, once you, What's, what's the line? You know, you jump, you jump, and then you find your wings. That's the way it works. Yeah, I mean, waiting for your wings, you never jump. People email me all the time asking for advice about how they can start their own trip, and um, they always tell me I'm planning on doing this, and maybe in a couple of years' time, 
I just say, like, get as much money as you can in the next six months and go, whether you've got a plan or not, and figure it out once you, you've left the door, you know, once you've left home, because you don't really need a plan. Um, it will come to you as you go, and you'll never leave if you just keep planning from home. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of people do. They keep dreaming, they keep planning, and then yeah. eventually they buy a new couch or buy a new car or have a baby. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. The, the only other piece of advice I give people is go somewhere cheap. Because I hear it from a lot of people. They're like, you know, yeah, I saved up money. I'm going to go to Sweden. Like, well, are you fucking kidding me, man? You know, like, you'll spend as much at lunch as you'd spend in a week in Bangkok. Fly to Bangkok, take it from there, you know? Because your money will go much further. Yeah, Southeast yeah. Asia is a great option for oh, travel. Yeah, I love Southeast Asia. Hey, thanks for doing this. This is great. I hope uh, I hope you get a bunch more... Uh, people along for the trip through the podcast. Yeah, I hope so. Because these are my the people listening are definitely the kind of people who can relate to uh, to a guy cruising around in a van with a beautiful woman who looks like Jodie Foster. Do you know that? I get that all the time. That's great. When I was younger. That's great. <laughs> what a hottie. I don't see it. Jodie, it's you. better than Philip Seymour fucking Hoffman, which is what I get. <laughs> it's ugly and dead. Fuck. Not a good combination. <laughs> hey, thanks for doing this, man. Thank, Thank you. you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and appreciate your support for the podcast, especially those of you who do it through fundwhatyoulove.com, where you can set it up to take a buck, five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you can afford, whatever you feel motivated to throw at the podcast every month. Uh, you don't have to think about it. It's an ongoing thing. You can cancel at any time, of course. That's fundwhatyoulove.com. That's run by Danny Osman, who also does the sound engineering for the show. You can find him at emeraldcitypro.com if you have any engineering, sound engineering needs. He's great. I vouch for him, of course. He's been doing the sound engineering for this podcast for over a year now, completely voluntarily. Uh, he's a cool guy. So if you have any business you want to throw his way, please do. Thanks to Basin and Range for the opening music. You can find them at basinandrangeband.com. Uh, there's a Reddit tangentially speaking discussion group. If you want to talk about episodes, throw a question at me, get a conversation started at Reddit. Just do a search for tangentially speaking, all one word. And, of course, thanks to Bennett at Shore Design T-Shirts, another guy who's been supporting this podcast from the very beginning when I had about 15 listeners. He was there. He's still there. And uh, I love him. Never met the guy, but I love him. And I sure as hell love his shirts. So you can get his shirts at shoredesigntshirts.com. And, of course, all the shirts that are at chrisryanphd.com are made by Shore Design T-Shirts in Thailand and packaged and shipped to you by my mom, Julie. Uh, say hi to Julie if you order anything. She loves it when that happens. And of course, last but not least, thanks to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear, Smoke Alarm, which reminds you to carpe fucking diem because you're going to die one day. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering
wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say Go down, we'll go singing to the smoke alarms, we'll dance into the ground.